0: When the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center came crashing down on that horrific day of September 11th, more than 3,000 people died. But a few people, a few people who were buried underneath all of that rubble miraculously survived the collapsing, the crumbling of the towers. Two of those were Will Jimeno and John McLaughlin. They were port authority workers who had responded to the attacks. And, and they were on the bottom floor when the south tower came uh, crumbling down, came falling down. They raced, what they, what, when it started falling down, they raced into an elevator shaft and amazingly survived the 100-story collapse around them Uh, but they were buried dozens of feet below in in the midst of steel and rubble. So they were trapped without water and they were breathing uh, seriously smoke-filled air. Both Will and John had very little, if no, hope for survival. But something was stirring in the heart of an accountant, working in Connecticut, miles and miles away in Connecticut. At that very time, an accountant who had never met them before, Dave Carnes, who had been in the Marines for 23 years, um, was watching this scene play out on TV just like the rest of us. Um, Inside his office building, his accountant office there in Connecticut. But instead of just allowing it to bother him, Just instead of being troubled by it, he decided to do something about it. So he went to his boss and said that he was going to be gone for a while. Then Dave went to a barbershop and asked for a crew cut. And then he raced home. He put on his uh, military fatigues, hoping that the uniform might give him access or clearance uh, behind the the blocked off area surrounding Ground Zero. And then he jumped into his car and drove to Manhattan at speeds over 200 kilometers per hour and arrived there late afternoon. Now, while the, most of the rescue workers at that point were being cleared off of the wreckage pile because of the danger, Dave was allowed to stay because of the, the clout that came with his military uniform. Uh, and then finding another Marine nearby, the two of them walked the wreckage pile together seeking to save the lost. After about an hour of of searching around, they heard the, the faint sound of tapping on pipes and yelling. Will and John had been trapped for nine hours by this time, completely unable of freeing themselves. But in the midst of all of that rubble, underneath all of that rubble, a Marine who had been working at a computer at his desk and in his office in Connecticut that morning, found them. In total, 20 people, 20 total people were pulled out of the wreckage of the World Trade Center. Uh, Will Jimeno and John McLaughlin were numbers 18 and 19. And all because Dave Carnes took off his suit, put on his rescue fatigues and stepped into the darkness and despair of Ground Zero. Now, in the same way, but in a much, much greater way, in a much greater way, our holy God took off his royal robes and he stepped down in the darkness and despair and destruction of this world to save us. You see, we were buried under miles and miles of rubble of our own foolishness. It, we had zero chance of, I guess, digging ourselves or picking ourselves up from under our own sin. We had no hope at all until the Holy Son of God clothed Himself with human flesh to rescue us. To save us. And that is what his name means. That is what the name Jesus means. One who saves. Jesus, Savior. The Lord is salvation. Jesus is Savior. And this season, this new season of Lent that we're now in, as we walk along with Jesus to the cross where he saved us, we're going to be looking at the names of wondrous love that we know him by. We're going to be looking at the names of wondrous love that tell us about him. And we're going to start with this one. We're going to start with Jesus. One who saves. Jesus. Savior. Our text begins with Jesus. So our text is from Luke 22. Same Account we just heard, here's Luke's version of it. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. So it says there, according to his custom, as was his custom. So it was Jesus' custom and habit to go and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. Okay, this is how Judas knew that he would find Jesus there. You could count on this like clockwork. Jesus would be going to pray as usual. So Jesus had this usual and customary time of prayer. He had this usual, customary, habitual time and place for prayer. Now wouldn't that be a good idea? Wouldn't that be a good idea? Now I know I know that none of you want Judas leading a band of derelicts to come and find you while you're praying and then you know arrest you and beat you up and torture you but wouldn't it be awesome if people were always able to find you or always knew where you were based on when and where you pray That if someone was looking for you, someone else could say, oh yeah, he's over there in that room praying. That's where he always is at this time of the day. Or, yeah, oh, you're looking for her? Yeah, she's in the corner of the library there praying. That's where she is at this time of the day. Wouldn't that be cool if people could always know where we are based on our time and place of prayer? Wouldn't it be awesome if our time and place of prayer to God was so customary and habitual and usual and set in stone that people could find you? Or maybe more importantly, that people could leave you alone. Because we don't want them to find us at that time. But that it was so set that, that just people knew that is where he or she is going to be. Friends, it, I, it's, a, it's a good thing. It is a good thing to have a usual time and place for prayer, a usual time and place for Bible study, something carved into our schedule that will make certain that we are spending time every day with God. If the Son of God, who also is true God, had to spend a usual time and place in prayer and communion with his Father, then I think we do. If he needs strength, then I think we do. And so wouldn't it be a good idea to have a usual time and place? Something that helps ensure that it isn't something that we skip. We don't skip meals. We don't skip going to work. We don't skip sending our kids to school. We don't skip the things in our schedule that we want to do. Shouldn't this be in our schedules? It wasn't Jesus's. That's how Judas found him. Okay, let's go on. Um, On reaching the place, he said to them, "'Pray that you will not fall into temptation.'" And again, in English, it just says pray. You look into the Greek, keep on praying. Pray continually. This is a non stop prayer action. Keep on praying that you may not enter into temptation. Continually pray so that you don't begin to experience the awful thing that is temptation this real and powerful temptation. Jesus knew the power of temptation. He knew it. You, remember, the devil, he had been attacked by uh, the devil directly and Satan was about to have another go at him. So his advice to his disciples? Pray continually. Keep in prayer so that you don't enter into, so that you don't set yourself in that place where the devil can carry you away. So that you don't begin to experience that awful trial that I know is temptation. We can learn from this, friends. Um, Life is no different, maybe worse, depending... I mean, we live in a world that surrounds us with temptation too. That's the obvious. Okay? The devil can use all kinds of things to drag us away from God. There are all kinds of evils, all sorts of evils uh, await our souls. Uh, Temptation can so easily lead us away from following God to following what ends up being a very lifeless path. So... Jesus is saying, you know how not to fall into that? You know how to keep from entering into that dangerous place? You know how to keep from experiencing that awful temptation? Prayer. Continual prayer. Keep on praying. Listen, if if you are talking with God if you're asking him to be with you, if you're asking him to help you, if you're giving him the opportunity to save you, which honors him, by the way, you won't be in that place where the devil can come and take you away. When you're in communion with God, the devil can't get at you. And that's why Jesus was telling his disciples to keep at it. Stay in that place where you're communing with God, where you're talking with him, where you're asking him for help. The devil can't get you there. That's why you won't fall into temptation. Okay, going on. He withdrew. Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus didn't just tell them to pray, he showed them how to pray. He asked his father if he was willing to take this cup. From him. We've got to talk about the cup. What is the cup that Jesus wanted his Father maybe to take from him? Isaiah 51 tells us, verse 17 says, Awake, awake, rise up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes men stagger. So the cup Jesus is talking about here is the cup of God's wrath. The cup is the punishment for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus was drinking the cup of punishment that the whole world, that you and I, deserve to drink. And, and no human being, not, not one of us, can even begin to comprehend the agony that Jesus was going through here. He, he, had, he was carrying all of our sins. That cup contained all of our sins and all of God's wrath on account of that. And every single sin is serious. Every single one. How, how, how can we take our sins lightly? Every, each sin filled that cup up. Each sin made it harder to drink. Every sin caused him to bleed sweat. Every one caused him pain. Friends, every time, every time we break God's will, every sinful word, every careless thought brings God's wrath on us, brings, uh, makes us deserve the wrath of God. Same way that that the way um, Adam and Eve broke their relationship with him in the Garden of Eden when they, when they disobeyed by eating the fruit that he asked them not to eat, broke their relationship with God. Every thought, word, and deed that we do against God's will, breaks our relationship with Him and brings his, his anger on us. But, instead of pouring that wrath down on us, it kept just filling up a cup, so to speak. A, a gigantic cup, which Jesus was going to have to drink down to the dregs. And that cup was so revolting, so horrific, that the only thing that would move Jesus to drink it is his Father's will. You know, here we see, this, this, this setting with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, here we see probably more than any other place the true humanity of Jesus. Remember, he was also a true human being. And, and, and as a human, he's facing the kind of agony and suffering that goes beyond anything that a human being can even begin to comprehend. There's nothing fake about the suffering Jesus went through. And as a human being, he's asking his Father, praying that there might be another way to do this. If there's another way, Lord, I'm up for it. Okay? Because he's he's a human being and he was dreading this as much as you and I would dread it impossible for us to understand because we, all, we don't happen to also be true God. But he is also a true human being and he's dreading this as much as we would. Father, if there's any other way, now's the time to let me know. But what ultimately matters to Jesus is not his own will, but it's the will of his Father. And as a human being, his will, his wish was, um, can there be any other way? But Jesus prays, And this is very important. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He yields to his Father's will. He puts his Father's will first. God first. God first. And then he put it, and they put it, put it. Did I just say that? He put, then, our needs before his own. God's will first. What is his Father's will? And then he even put our needs. The world that he came here to save before his own. Um, it's It's not always easy for us to pray, thy will be done, is it? I mean, I know we pray it here every Sunday, right? In the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. But what about the rest of your week? What about the rest of your prayer life? What about the rest of your prayers? How about, how about when, when, you, when, you, um, when you have no work, you have no way to support your family, and, and you're praying that, that God would give you a way, you're praying for a job, how easy is it for you to pray, Thy will be done, knowing that it might not be God's will to give you that job as soon as you would like to have it? Or how about when you're struggling with a health problem and you're in pain, you're suffering, and you're asking God for healing, how easy is it to pray, Thy will be done, knowing that God's will might be to let you endure that for a while, to let you suffer with that for a while for His good purposes? Or how about when you are um, under the the very heavy crushing burden, um, difficult burden of a cross that you are bearing as a follower of, of Christ? Is it easy to pray, Thy will be done? How about someone you love is going to die? And you, as someone who loves them, as a human being who loves them, you want nothing more than for them to just be around with you a little bit longer. How easy is it to pray, Thy will be done, when God's will might be to take that person to heaven with Him? I think it's often difficult for you and me to pray thy will be done. I think we have often have a hard time praying thy will be done. And I think that we often pray, no matter what the words are in our prayer, with the understated idea of my will be done, Lord. I want you to carry out my will. Here's what I want you to do for me, God. And can you please do it quickly? Jesus paid for that sin too. That's right. That... Sin of yours and mine, of not being willing to put the Father's will before our own, was put in that cup too. So, how did Jesus answer God's prayer then? So, sorry, how did God answer Jesus' prayer? An angel from heaven, verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Isn't that an awesome answer? When you, friends, when we pray to God, he sends angels to strengthen us. He did that for Jesus. He will do it for us. And strength is exactly what you need, especially when you're right in the middle of the conflict. Look what happens next. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So look, the angel didn't bring an end to the suffering the agony actually became worse. That sweat became like drops of blood. Hard for us to imagine. So the angel came in the middle of the suffering to give Jesus the strength to endure the hardest part that was still coming. The agony, the anguish, continued and actually increased after God sent His angel to strengthen Jesus. Now, when you are going through a difficulty... When you are going through a difficulty and you pray to God for help, he doesn't always just take that difficulty away right away, does he? It might be his will for you to to endure it a bit uh, longer. It, It might be his good wisdom for you to struggle with that for a bit. But when you pray to God in that situation, how does God answer your prayer? When you pray to God, what does he do for you? You know what he does for you? He sends angels to strengthen you. He strengthens you to endure what is coming. He gives you the strength to handle what is coming up. That's how God answers our prayers when he doesn't take that challenge away right away. He sends angels to strengthen us so we can do it. He gives us strength. He reminds us that he is all-powerful. He reminds us that he loves you. He reminds us that he will not allow you to be tempted more than you can bear. That he will never let go of your hand that he will never let go of his promise. He strengthens you and me to endure it. But when Jesus went back to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from sorrow. I I really, I studied on that phrase this week, exhausted from sorrow. What does that mean? They were overwhelmed. This was all too much for them. And instead of of praying for strength from God and receiving strength in the form of God sending angels to strengthen them, they relied on their own strength and fell asleep. And relying on their own strength later that evening, all of them, every single one of them, betrayed and abandoned Jesus. Are we so different? How often don't we sleep through life instead of praying? How often don't we close our eyes to the spiritual danger constantly surrounding us? How often don't we consider our physical rest and comfort to be more important than the battle and the conflict that we are in as followers of Jesus? Why are you sleeping? Jesus asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Friends, we are the people that Jesus came to save. And he is telling us, I'm here. I'm here. Use my help. I want to save you. Use my help. You aren't going to be able to save yourselves. You're going to be in a lot of trouble on your own. But I came here to save you, so talk to me. Bang on those pipes a little bit. Call for help, because I'm here to rescue you, and I want to save you. In fact, that's what my name means, Savior. That's what I do. That's what I came for you. My name is Jesus. It means Savior. Friends, Jesus is our Savior, someone who rescued us. And to do that, he is true man and true God. True man and true God. He had to be true man so that he could walk in our place, so that he could live our life. And he had to be true man so that he could die for us. But being true man, this path that lay ahead of him, as you can see and you can hear from the Word, was a frightening path. And yet, he obeyed his Father's will. He he put his Father's will ahead of his. He obeyed. And he drank the full cup of suffering for you and me. The full cup. All of it. He took the punishment for all of our sins. Look at, he did all of the things that we fail to do. Okay? Um, He prayed continually, constantly, when we haven't. He kept himself out of that place of where the devil can get him in temptation when, when we didn't. He was willing to put his Father's will ahead of his own when when we wouldn't do that. And here's, here's just the unexplainable part of this whole thing. God, God gives you and me credit for all of that stuff we didn't do. God gives you and me the credit that Jesus earned by doing it for all that stuff that we failed so badly at. So you have credit for doing all of that perfectly now. And then Jesus drank the cup. He allowed himself, as we're going to see next week, he allowed himself to be arrested and put to death. He carried the weight of all of our sins so that we wouldn't have to carry them uh, and bear them in front of God. Jesus saved us. Our Savior saved us from drinking the cup that we couldn't drink. Like, like Dave Carnes on 9-11, Jesus was willing to take off the suit of his divinity and put on the fatigues of humanity and step into the darkness and despair and destruction of this destroyed world to rescue us. To pull us out of the rubble that we were buried under. To save us. And so, I want you to remember what his name means. Friends, I want you to remember what Jesus means. It means Savior. It means one who saves. He is the one who saved you. So remember what His name means. Jesus means Savior. Now that, that is a name of wonders, love. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.